What's up, everybody, and welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning. I don't. Ha- I don't. I don't have the vocals. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, my name is Jared, and I'm joined here with our Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Austin. Yo, what up? And today, subbing in for Ryan is Raymond. Raymond, how's it going? Hey, everybody, doing well. Um, cool. Glad to be here. Uh, big fan of the show. Looking forward to uh, talking movies with you guys. Rock and roll, man. And today we are continuing with the Verhoeven train. We're going to be talking about Total Recall, the 1990 movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sharon Stone, directed by Paul Verhoeven. I wasn't sure we were going to do this one, and then I just, uh, I actually watched it out of curiosity, not knowing if we were going to continue the Verhoeven train or not, and then I saw it, and it was just too good not to talk about. So Mm. we're going to go ahead around and see what people think of this movie. (laughs) Tell us about the first time you saw it and what's like revisiting it for this podcast. Let's start with our guests. Let's start with Raymond. Raymond, what do you think? Um, I am a huge fan of Total Recall. I'm a huge fan of Paul Verhoeven. Um, When Joy asked me to uh, be a guest on the show, she said, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you know what movie we're doing in a minute. And I said, okay, well, I'm just, you know, thinking in my head, like, God, I really hope it's something I like because I want to be enthusiastic. And she, she texted me a minute later and she said, we're doing Total Recall by Paul Verhoeven. I said, fuck yeah, let's go. So it's, th- this is one I've seen a ton of times. I rewatched it uh, to prep for this. I, I watched the remake just to get some ideas oh, uh, wow. with regards to how they compare and contrast. And I, I'm also just, I think Paul Verhoeven, his... American-made films, and he did some really great movies in the Netherlands as well, but his American-made films are just this unimpeachable winning streak that is on par with any any American filmmaker, any filmmaker in general. I, I think from, like, Flesh and Blood to Hollow Man, he's just doing such unreal, like, weird stuff where he's critiquing the system from within the system, and it's so ripe for a show like this to be able to just dig in and start picking that stuff apart, so... Um, I, I think Total Recall is one of like not only the best big budget effects action movies, but also maybe the best uh, uh, satire of big budget action movies all at the same time. It's just oh, it, so cool. There's a whole lot going on with us. Okay, so as a Verhoeven fan, just as a quick response, if possible, Showgirls, poignant satire, <laughs> or sh- or one of the shittiest movies ever. Uh, well, if those are the only two choices, I would have to say poignant satire, <laughs> okay. uh, because one of the shittiest movies ever is, is absurd. And I listen, I've been listening to the podcast and keeping up with your, your thoughts on Robocop and, and Showgirls, and there were times during the Showgirls episode where I was screaming at my phone, like, you're missing the point! Oh, but, that's um, funny. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, uh, I've been enjoying the conversation you guys have had so far, and I'm, I'm glad to finally be able to weigh in and uh, not just be shouting into the wind right now. Cool. Austin, what's your relationship with this movie like? Dude, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. It, it actually felt like the first time watching it. Like, I've seen clips and there were bits and, and things like that that I've, I've, that I've been familiar with recently. But honestly, I feel like this was legit the first time that I saw this film. Maybe I was having my own, like, recall moment, you know? Like, <laughs> the, the memories were interacting with the old uh, whoever it was that had previously uh, encountered these images. But it felt so fresh to me, and um, so I did a little bit of research. Not, like, a ton. Um, I, I feel like this isn't the sort of film that you should over-intellectualize. But um, I guess it was, like, one of the highest... Uh, uh, highest budgeted films at the time that it was made, and I, I know that there oh, isn't wow. like like clear numbers, but um, so it was like fifty or sixty million for uh, a film made in you know the the late eighties that's released released in nineteen ninety, and um, I fucking love this movie, man. I, I think that the set pieces are brilliant. I think that 
Um, it's so over the top and it's it's so exaggerated. And I think oftentimes when we think of satire, this is the thing where we get hung up on. We think I think we confuse sometimes satire with allegory. And satire is not necessarily allegory. Satire comes in a variety of different forms. And um, irony is the chief among those forms. Um, but, um, but, but exaggeration and uh, tongue-in-cheek humor and um, kind of like on-the-nose meta-commentary, those things can all be part of satire. And so I absolutely think that this is part of his big satire against like American industrial or post-industrial capitalist firms and uh, governmental organizations and all of that shit from his European mentality. And it targets, in this film, um, you know, kind of like the greed of corporate America or something along those lines, uh, a sort of like trans-global, trans-solar uh, system uh, corporation. But I think it's fucking fantastic. I think it's clever. I think it's funny. I think the action is amazing. The set pieces are amazing. Um, and honestly, I, it's like you don't often think of Arnie as being a good actor, but I found him so fucking charming in this film. He's great in oh. this. He's a force of nature, man. Like <laughs> when people ask if he's a good actor, sometimes it's just like, you know, he has he's a good presence. He's and a great although presence. he's never and although he's never really acting outside of the Schwarzenegger handbook, it just works. He just look the man looks good on camera. And and not just that, but it's kind of incredible to see how devoid his performance is of vanity and ego. Like, he's the biggest star in the world at this point, and they have him, like, pulling golf ball-sized tracking devices out of his nose, and he's doing all the, like, huge facial reactions and these big close-ups where he's losing his mind. Like, this asks a lot of an actor to just kind of, like, put aside their persona and put aside their like their their star value what you know so to speak and just like give over to the energy of the the script and of the movie and he just he's so game for it and i love that about him and even make making fun of himself and yeah, all that. yeah. that's it yeah. totally totally all right well uh my relationship with this movie is like austin i saw it a long time ago when i was young i was probably the uh, mid-teens and i just kind of thought of it as an action movie just like with RoboCop and all the other Verhoeven movies that I saw when I was young, I didn't really catch any of the satire. I just thought of it as another Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, indistinguishable from uh, some of his more formulaic ones. But uh, no, I had a great time watching this movie. Mm -hmm. I think this movie is awesome. I'm so happy to talk about it. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad that we didn't stop the Verhoeven train without talking about this. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to keep going. After <laughs> we won't get oh, wow. go, we won't get too deep into the other ones, but like Starship Troopers is a must. Oh, we did Starship. Well, we Troopers. did we did we did that one. But you know, this, oh, did you already record that yeah, one? Yeah, we awesome. we actually this is our first Schwarzenegger movie. Oh no doubt. Yeah, oh, I can't wow. believe you've never done like Terminator. Seems like yeah, we like, never have questions of identity and artificial intelligence and all. It's that. almost it too on the nose, reality. though, right? Like so. That's a good point. So we, we would rather do sometimes Big Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boss Baby, hell yeah, episode, what, two? I think it was episode two. I still consider, I, I consider Mother to be episode one. Yeah, Mother was definitely ep one, so. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good place to start. Yeah. You should definitely end with Mother, too, whenever, whenever you <laughs> oh, decided God. to wrap up the show. I think that would be a nice a nice loop in, in, the, uh, in the same sort of uh, uh, vibe of that movie. I think I'm still going to hate it. But anyway, <laughs> let's go into a recap 
of Total Recall. So, after experiencing troubling dreams involving a mysterious woman on the war-torn Mars, construction worker Douglas Quaid decides it's time for him and his wife Lori to take a vacation to Mars. With Lori not wanting to go, Quaid decides to go to Recall, a company that will implant memories of a vacation. Douglas opts for the secret agent ego trip vacation, but when they try to implant the memory, it unearths suppressed memories of him being a real secret agent. So Recall wipes his memory and sends him back to his normal life, where both his friend and his wife try to kill him, his wife saying their marriage was just an implanted memory and that she was hired to look after him. Quaid soon learns that his name used to be Hauser and that he used to work for a man named Cohagen who is currently pursuing him, but switched allegiances when he learned of an alien artifact on Mars. Hauser directs him to Mars where he meets Melina, the girl from his dreams. Quaid soon encounters two men who claim to be from Recall. They tell him he's suffering from a schizoid embolism and that everything he's experiencing is a fantasy. His body is really still at Recall. After Lori comes in to back up the doctors, they offer him a pill that will keep him from being lobotomized. Quaid refuses and along with Melina kills them all. Quaid escapes to Venusville, which is populated by irradiated mutants. Unable to track down, Quaid Cohagen shuts off the air circulation, slowly suffocating the citizens. Quaid is then introduced to the mutant leader of the Resistance, Quato, but soon Cohagen and his men descend on the Resistance, killing most of them. Quato, right before his death, tells Quaid he must turn on the reactor. Cohagen explains that the Quaid persona was all a plan to infiltrate the Resistance and kill Quato. Cohagen is ejected into the atmosphere where he suffocates to death, and Quaid turns on the reactors, which melt a glacier at the planet's core and provides air, saving everyone on the planet. And in the end, Quaid muses if this is all in fact a dream, and kisses Melina. End of movie. It's kind of a wonderful ending. What, what is it that yeah. he says, like, how do I know this is a dream? And she says, well, you better kiss me before you wake up sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, this movie, it hits all of the fucking buttons that are like the total cliche action film buttons that like if you're a dude and you have really unrealistic expectations of what you think your life is going to be, that you're going to be like the hero of your own story. This film yeah. is like... <laughs> This film is like, here you go. This is just a mirror of you being the hero of your own fucking story. Getting the girl, blowing everything up, surviving improbable explosions, you know, going through a, a world, uh, a crazy world where there's mutants and all this other shit. Everyone is coming after you. And not only do you get one hot chick, but just like James Bond, you get two hot chicks. You get the bad hot chick <laughs> and you get the good hot chick, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's it's so great in that sense. Yeah. And and I love how the guy at Recall frames it as this is an ego trip. And then basically once the dream starts, it's your formulaic action movie taking to like taking to like the nth degree. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing about action movies as ego trips or like a, mm. is a movie a vacation for your mind. Mm. Yeah, I just I just emerged out of a deep video game hole, so I decided to have a staycation, right? And I played Jared and Jared had been begging me to play The Last of Us Part Two, and I I mean he didn't have to really mm -hmm. beg me because I'd been wanting to play it. I just hadn't taken the time. <laughs> uh, but so I finally got around to it because I had a little bit of a break from work. So I played The Last of Us Two, but I wasn't satisfied. So then I went back and I played Uncharted Four, and that was amazing. Oh, nice! And then I wasn't satisfied, so I played the new God of War. And now oh. I'm still not satisfied. But here's the thing. I, I went deep 
I went <laughs> deep into this like be the hero of your own story sort of thing, right? And especially with mm-hmm. like Uncharted and God of War, you're like this dude who's like this force of chaos and powerful or or charming like in the case of Uncharted with with Nathan Drake, right? You're like charming and you get the girl and you get the treasure or whatever it is. But it is really funny how you get to play out these fantasies, especially in the video game world. But prior to video games, what we had were action films where we could play that out unless you did like role-playing sure. games or something like that. But really, it's like the action film was the quintessential get lost in your own hero's journey, you know? And I think that sits, that is like the cornerstone of the satirical element of this movie, which is like, if Recall is essentially an entertainment company, they're, they're putting these first person memories in your head the way that like a VR experience might happen, or, you know, it's, it, it, it's similar to a studio producing a movie that's just like tailored for this one person. I think it's very telling. And obviously, like, it has to be coming from Verhoeven that like, this is a movie about a studio that produces first-person memories of you committing <laughs> egregious acts of violence against other people and then has no compunction about, like, planning those memories in your head as though they were real and sending you back out in the real world, presumably to, like, process that trauma or, I mean, even scarier, just, like, not have to process any trauma and feel like, oh, yeah, I have a very visceral memory of murdering like 70 people on Mars and I can just wake up at the end of the day and be like, yeah, I'll just go back to my job at the construction site where I'm a jackhammer guy and like <sighs> not have to deal with that in any way. Like they never get into that. And I think that that is to me at least like the cornerstone of the, the, the satirical element of this film and what he has to say about American blockbuster movies in general. Hmm. Because, There is almost a kind of tension, I think, in Schwarzenegger's character, because on the one hand, he is a bit of an everyman, or he's written like a little bit of an everyman. He says he says things like, honey, I was meant for more. I want to be somebody. He's he's married to 1990 Sharon Stone. Right. And he has a body chiseled out of stone. And like, and he's sitting there like, "Uh, it's not enough. (laughs) Like, what more do you want? (laughs) And. And can we just talk about his job? Just, he is just this chiseled, ridiculously epic eight-time Mr. Universe body dude. Just just seemingly just hacking away at just pure stone. It's just it's the most just, no masculine the thing. Building. It's, the, it's the most masculine thing you can imagine. Yeah, they never show the construction part of his construction job. It's just destruction. It's just him just <laughs> yeah. hammering into the ground and and talking to his friend about how he wants to wants to dream about murdering people essentially. Like it's psychotic. Like th- that's the thing that's so beguiling about because the big question at the heart of this is like is the movie once he goes to recall is the movie actually happening or is that the memory being implanted? But that movie is not really that different from the first 20 minutes where it's like he lives in this extremely weird, heightened world. He He's acting as though he isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, you could believe that this is a guy who was a big action hero, who was a spy, who has had his brain wiped, because there's no other way to explain where he is in his life at the beginning of this movie. Like, it just, it just, they, it just doesn't match up. Yeah, there's something interesting there. Um... Have you guys read the the Philip K. Dick story? Uh Uh-uh. Have you? It's great. Um, And the original draft of this was much more 
based on that, where like he is just a total everyman. He's just a schmuck who works in an office. The when this was first written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, they had uh, Dino De Laurentiis attached to produce and Richard Dreyfuss attached to star as Quaid, which is obviously an extremely different, different movie. Yeah, yeah. And then it went through other hands, like Bruce Beresford was attached for a while with Patrick Swayze attached as Quaid. Um, and then eventually David Cronenberg was attached as director and he was the one who made up Quado, which is like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, by the time it landed in Arnie's lap, he had wanted to work with Paul Verhoeven since RoboCop because he, he tested for RoboCop, but they literally couldn't make a suit that would fit him. And mm. it just was a nightmare. Like even in, even in RoboCop with Peter Weller, he could barely move in that suit. So trying to make a suit that would fit Arnold Schwarzenegger but still look convincing on screen, they're like, this is just a non-starter. But when he got a hold of the script, he was the creative force behind it, and he brought on Paul Verhoeven, and from there it was just like, it took off. Yeah, I did hear that the original short story that it's like, everyone says it's loosely based off of, and I think they emphasize the loosely on purpose, is that, you know, Philip K. Dick typically does this anyway, goes into sort of like more metaphysical speculations and philosophical musings. And the thing that's really kind of like nice about this film is there's like an intentional, what's the word I'm looking for? Not superficiality, but there's an intentional, I mean, in in the technical sense, it is superficial, um, but there's like a sort of intentional um, banality to to the exploration of this that I think, and it also fits really well into why Verhoeven is critical of uh, the, the remakes of RoboCop and of Total Recall for why they weren't successful, as he says, because they don't have the humor in them. And I think there's something about this tongue-in-cheek superficiality. We might really call it like a sort of, and I know this word gets thrown around so much, but I, I, I think that sometimes it is warranted, but it is a very sort of postmodern satire in the sense that it's not really kind of like leading us, trying to usher us into some sort of like moralizing tale, like something like Wolf of Wall Street does, right? Right? where uh, you obviously have Scorsese, who's the Catholic, who's like trying to be like, ah, this, I do have a moral story in the background here about greed and things like that that, uh, that I want you to be aware of. This film doesn't yeah, have any of that. they never put it front and center. You know? like, yeah, they never point and say, here's the point. Yeah, the while at the same time, you still also are like, yeah, this, these guys are bad guys. And it, it kind of is a very clear like black hat, white hat kind of story as well. You know, So there are bad guys in this story. Um, in this one in particular, you know, um, but at the same time, it isn't like uh, the American empire is bad or greed is bad or money is bad. It's not very clear about those sorts of things. It's just well, it's a little bit more muddled. There, there, there's stuff like that on the corners, like literally one of the first lines in the movie is the TV in the background saying like something to the effect of like terrorists have uh, interfered with the extraction operation and stuff like that, where it's like because Mars is is now this new colonial environment for the, it, it doesn't really, I, I don't know if it makes clear where Total Recall takes place, but I mean, it's it's coded America. And and there is something like, I don't know, do you know anything about Paul Verhoeven's background? I mean, we, we know a little bit, but, you know, he went through Nazi, you know, Nazi Germany and yeah. stuff like that, yeah, he, occupation. Not only that, but when he was five, his family moved to The Hague. And he... He grew up literally in the shadow of like a, a Nazi military base and his neighbor's house got bombed. So it's just this weird thing where like he he's growing up in an occupied country being bombed by his liberators. And you and I, I do think that's like the Rosetta Stone to his entire American filmography is like, yeah, I'll work within the system, but I'll be damned if I'm going to embrace it or accept it in any way. Like it's always critiquing it from within. Um and there, I think there is definitely, like, 
obviously there's there's one strand that runs through like especially robocop total recall starship troopers where like it's all about privatization and they're fucking selling air on mars in this one and uh when you get to starship troopers like the imperialist nightmare of colonial america and just it it, it is you talked about um on a previous episode like who would you compare today to paul verhoeven and i think james gunn was an apt comparison like especially when he's in the super mode where he's like just rubbing your face in the the ugliness of violence and stuff and i i do think there's something to that with with verhoeven as well especially uh in these three sci-fi movies i think something that runs through all three of those sci-fi movies as well is this kind of critical edge in depicting the media and one of my favorite i think one of the funniest parts of this movie is at the very beginning when Quaid is just watching the news and it shows rebels getting gunned down violently as the news anchor just reports the events matter-of-factly. Like, it, there's even a guy, like, point-blank getting shot in the chest with a semi-automatic yeah. weapon. There's no, this may disturb you or anything. Everything is just so desensitized because he's just sitting there with his breakfast. His, he's drinking his breakfast while he's watching people get brutally gunned down and he's just sitting there like the everyman who's just enjoying his coffee, watching the news of the day. Yeah, and it's a world like in in what's the what's the place called Venus Venus Venusilia or whatever it's Venus called? Venusville or something. Venus, yeah, yeah, something. When when uh, when Michael Ironside, who's my favorite actor in the world, I think now I, I always forget about him, but goddamn, he's amazing. But when he when he and his when his goons when they break into into the kind of like to the bar or whatever, it's so amazing that everybody in the bar also is equipped with automatic weapons. <laughs> So this is a world <laughs> this is a world where it's not just like the police force and not just like the resistance people unless are we supposed to think that they're all a part of the resistance or whatever like whatever this world is everybody has a fucking west. uzi yeah. you know <laughs> Yeah 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 it's it's just become like the the last frontier and everything yeah. and that that thing you brought up Jared about uh the <laughs> someone just getting gunned down on the news it, that reminds me so much of um uh, y'all brought up the Nukem game on uh, in RoboCop. Uh, the, the RoboCop episode. And there's a great moment in Starship Troopers where, because that whole movie is supposed to be designed as like a propaganda film made by the people who are starring in it, there's the, the scene where the kid, or they're showing like a commercial for like enlist in the Federation, blah, 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 become a citizen. And they show all the people saying like, I'm doing my part, I'm doing my part. And then they cut to like a kid who's like 12 years old wearing like an army helmet and he's got a fucking assault rifle and he goes, I'm doing my part. And it's so obvious, like no matter what kind of veneer they're trying to paint over this whole thing, this empire is crumbling. They're recruiting fucking 12 year olds to throw into the meat grinder up on the bug planets and stuff. Like it's always that stuff where, and I think it is like you said, there, there, there are tongue in cheek elements of it, but what's so great about his satire is that you could watch these movies and all of those things that hint at the like the destruction that's taking place just outside the frame could completely go over your head. You might just take it as like the fabric of the universe and you wouldn't think twice about what that implies about like all their living circumstances, their material interests and stuff. Totally. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that that was like, because, you know, we did Starship Troopers like a year ago now. So or almost a year ago, eight months ago or something like that. Um, oh, I think oh, it's really? I think it's been longer than that. It's oh, yeah. been maybe even Fuck. two. I don't know. Well, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, anyway. it could have been two years ago. Who knows? Time doesn't even exist Who knows? anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. but that was one of the things that we that, that really kicked off the, the debate was like, is this even a satire? Like, is is this an intentional um 
satirical are the humorous elements intentional like and and where is that dividing line like i know so many people that and have that was watched, like me that was yeah, like that me was you. fresh into verhoven yeah yeah exactly yeah but it, was that your first verhoven movie that no, you had kind I mean, of watched or processed as it, an adult or exactly as an adult it was the first one i had watched um because i hadn't i had seen total recall and i had not seen showgirls but i had seen robocop but uh only as a kid where you're Soak, soaking in the superficial elements. If if the, the the thing that's interesting is if we take the three sci-fi films, if we take RoboCop, uh, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers, the one thing that's really different though about Total Recall compared to the other two that kind of bookend this trilogy is that there is a clear good guy and a bad guy in this, right? Like with RoboCop, yeah, there's there's the baddies. But at the same time, the good guy is kind of problematized, right? And we talk about this at the end. Is there's kind of that that what's the good the good element is kind of almost this more metaphysical element of humanity, like the humanity, humanity yeah. that is still within him, sort of thing, right? And he doesn't go the full Hollywood cheesy route. That's like ah, it's just the spark of humanity that's coming to life. He doesn't allow that. He kind of leaves it a little bit complex and a little bit murky, right? And then in Starship Troopers, again, you love the fucking. You love the killing of the bugs, and you never know, like, the whole idea, the propaganda, the idea that, like, some sort of uh, asteroid or whatever it was that was sent by the bug colonies, did they actually send it in self-defense, or was it just made up entirely? Was it, like, a false flag operation? We never hear any of it, right? All we ever hear is the news from the side of the propaganda, which then initiates the invasion of the bug colony or whatever, but the idea is, is we never really know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Um, I mean, we kind of have elements of of corruption within the systems and maybe that's it the systems are bad but in this one you have a very clear there is a kind of good guy uh and he's the guy that maybe he was bad when he was hauser but somehow he's given been given this new lease on life and he now fights for the cause of liberation against these like colonial interests and sure. um wants to open always be open up the yeah. commons yeah so there's something about the human spirit right he's opening up the commons of air right um which is great but you have a very clear good guy versus bad guy and i think that's kind of interesting in this it it, it, it definitely has a different feel than the other two films to me when i watch total recall yeah, I think this one, more than the other two, is maybe the best at being the thing that it is satirizing. Uh, like, you know, what I, you know, whereas RoboCop, they, they get a really still. down and dirty. Yeah, they're still, they're still a little, you can kind of hold that movie at arm's length yeah. and uh, all of the, all of the bad guys in that, like Kurtwood Smith, who's phenomenal in RoboCop, he's so slimy mm. and all of the, yeah. like, you're you're so happy to see all those uh, all those corporate guys, all those suits get obliterated by like ED two hundred nine at the beginning because it, like I think you do have a clear sense of of whose side you're on in RoboCop, but like you said, there there's still a problematic aspect of it, and with with this one, you could just I mean I like I mentioned to my dad that we were talking about this, and he's I don't think we've ever talked about Total Recall in our lives together. And I mentioned, oh, I'm doing a podcast about Total Recall. And he goes, ah, Cohagen. And I was like, are you a big Total Recall fan? He goes, no, I just saw that in theaters when uh, when, when I was younger and always just kind of stuck with me. Wow. I don't know. Those, the character names. And like, there is that. St- it still feels like that sort of Reagan era action movie that it's sending up where like the bad guys are so scuzzy and like they, they stick in your brain. And there is, like you said, Austin early on that there is there was a part of you where you felt like you had seen it 
but I think there are, uh, we don't, I don't think this movie gets enough credit for how, how much like indelible imagery is in it. And, you know, even folks who haven't seen it are familiar with the gifts and the memes now and just stuff like that, where I, I think people kind of sleep on this movie's uh, sort of pop culture footprint. Hmm. I want to talk about the violence just for a second, because, okay. you know, uh, there's a part in the movie where I think is probably one of the clearest condemnations of violence in an action movie, you know, like critiquing the system from within the system. And that's when Schwarzenegger uses a guy as a human shield while he's going up an escalator. <laughs> the guy's body turns into a bloody rag doll and then he throws the guy's so body good. at his assailants. And then there's just a w one shot, which is beautiful. It goes by very quickly where we see everybody step over the dead body as they continue yeah. to pursue Schwarzenegger. I mean, that sh that one shot is just so beautiful. It is the cherry on top of a, a a really good sequence, and 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 that is that comes back to like the once again just the the over the top visceral nature of this violence that they're projecting into his head or not wh whatever the case may be. Like there there are violent maimings and explosions in this that would be the big final action scene of any other movie, and in this one it's just like. Uh, he's just murdering this guy who doesn't even have a line or a name in the movie. It's just like that dude who absorbs like 20 bullets like a sponge and then just gets tossed aside. It kind of raises a challenge to your assertion that there is a clear good guy in this Austin yeah. because that is like so inhumane for him to just, all right, and I'm done with you. <laughs> like it just, it is fucking lunacy. Yeah. So here's that, like, we, we, yeah, go ahead, Jared. talked about, yeah, we've talked about Marvel films in the past and how, uh, their violence is so kind of whitewashed and yeah, sanitized. And yeah, it's almost, I, this is kind of a, of a very poignant voice in even contemporary cinema. And I think it would actually do quite, I, I think watching this movie in the era of Marvel films is also quite interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, generally we think of, of satire as having some sort of intentional critical, uh, comment, right? Some sort of a, a, a critical remark on social habits. And so do we think that this film is criticizing, I mean, obviously it could be directed at multiple layers, but do we think it's it's more in like targeting the violence that is in action films? Or do you think that it's kind of also using the action film to critique militarism more broadly which obviously then comes to full fruition in something like starship troopers but there's still something about like the militaristic mentality and the reason I'm, I'm so sensitive to this is as somebody who's american who's lived abroad for like over a decade off and on now when i'm in in european environments in particular but now i live in australia where they don't even have like handguns anymore because of the uh, they had the, the uh, one mass shooting in the 90s. I, I can't remember when camp, it was. Right? Yeah. And then they kind of like just banned all that shit. You have hunting rifles, you know, on the farms and shit, but that's pretty much it. But like when I'm in Europe and things like that, I remember one time I was uh, I was at a conference and I, and I said something just, we were out drinking and something like that. And someone asked me a question and I was like, oh man, I was like, I don't know. You put a gun to my head and asked me and, I, and she got like really offended at how cavalier I was with oh, wow. making the gun signal and like talking about putting a gun to my head and she's like why why is and she was like not that she was like angry with me like ah you're canceled austin but more like it's so fascinating that americans are so loose and cavalier with using 
guns and and violence as a sort of like anecdote or a metaphor or some sort of talking point. And so I wonder then as a European, and then especially as somebody, as Raymond just reminded us, as somebody who kind of grew up under Nazi occupation and and witnessed, I mean, didn't he actually at one point, yeah, like something about the bombing, but didn't he like witness somebody get murdered too uh, or something like that? I, can't... He, I mean, he, he said he's seen a bunch of people like dead and maimed in the streets. Right. So, so is there like a heightened sensitivity to violence, which of course is ironic that he then would just make these exploitation films that are just so gratuitous, right? Well, I think, I think the point to the gratuity a lot of the time is is to sort of pivot away from the way that violence is sanitized. Like you even said, I think in the RoboCop episode that so much of his visual style is about like, uh, you said something to the effect of like, just kind of making you confront this stuff mm. or in so many words, like kind of just rubbing people's face and like, is this what you want? Is this what appeals to you? And whether it's, you know, the... Uh, the the culture of excess or greed or everything that's on the TV and RoboCop and stuff like that. But I, I do think there is, and, and it's the reason, like I said, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Super, the James Gunn movie, where mm. it it shows like the actual consequences of violence that like you, you don't just shoot a person and then walk away and then their body dissolves like a video game. Like there's blood everywhere. And like, it's it's gross and it spreads and it's like it, it gets on you and you have to carry it with you and there's there is something to that where I think like it, I, Marvel movies are a, a great counterpoint where it's just like or even I mean because we're talking about Total Recall if you've seen the remake pretty much all the bad guys are just automatons with rifles they're all just robots mm. so they can just blow as many of them away and there's absolutely no there, there's no humanity, there are no stakes to it, uh, at least insofar as, like, them having to consider the gravity of taking another life. It's just, it, it, it stands as a perfect counterpoint to how studio filmmaking sanitizes violence to see these guys just explode in geysers of red squibs. It's just, I think there is something very pointed about his his approach to violence. It's just like, how, okay, what if I turn this up to 11? Do you still, is this still what you want? And sadly, I think a lot of people watch the movie and they're like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I, another thing I'll always remember Total Recall about is when I watched it the first time as a teenager, my mom's friend was over and my mom's friend is just like a very kind of proper Southern girl. And uh, I said, she said, what movie are you watching? I said, I'm watching Total Recall. And she said, wow. When I saw that movie, I didn't know a movie could have so much action. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always remembered that because I never when, – when I was a kid, I, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I guess I guess it's got a lot of action. But there is something to the over-the-topness that really sits with people and makes them remember the violence of this movie in particular. Sure. And well, and it also – even today, there's no other movie that looks like this. You know, Rob Bottin, who's just a makeup effects god, who did the effects for this and RoboCop, and he did Basic Instinct with Verhoeven, but he did, like, John Carpenter's The Thing, and he did The Howling, like, just some of the most incredible prosthetics and animatronics to ever be filmed. He has this thumbprint. Like, when you look at the effects in this movie, there's, there's a sheen to them. They're sweaty. Like, they exist in the space. And then you contrast that with, like, just CGI garbage. Like every single time I see a Marvel movie, it's just another 
basically just another 9-11. There are entire cities just completely leveled at the drop of the hat. Just and and then they act like oh disaster was averted because these six guys in masks are all okay. Like there there's no weight, there's no gravity to that. And I do think that like we we're you know kind of mentioning before, there is something about these effects that sticks in people's minds. Like I have never seen anything as weird and complex as the head exploding when he like lifts it off of his and just. The way that they did that and how you have to, the care and attention to detail that that goes into each and every one of these like big specific effects where like they have the one head that opens and they have the one head that lifts. They have to make like four different versions of that because they all do exactly one thing. And it just is like, I don't know how you can watch this movie, especially like I did watching it back to back with the remake and not bemoan the loss of practical effects and the magic oh, and the yeah, that's one of the things know, that we like don't the, think about first when we think about verhoven though right we think about like sex and we think about violence and we think about flash but we don't really think about like the technical aspects of uh, uh, of being a filmmaker and this is one of the things that yeah as as a manager as somebody who's managing a team of people to try to realize this creative vision he does a phenomenal job he also does there was something there was a there was an action scene and i don't remember exactly where it was but it's where they like break into this cave and there's it's just like one of the one of the dozen like big action scenes but the amount of coverage i was like they must have taken 2 weeks just to shoot people with guns because the amount of angles, the amount of extras, the amount of explosions, the amount of walls getting torn apart with these vehicles that have these fittings mounted on them. Like, it was fucking... Like he's getting drilled by the car. That's another the, one. The big, you know what that reminded yeah. me of? Um, that reminded me of uh, Tetsuo Iron Man a little bit. Iron Man. <laughs> That's a crazy that's, fucking movie. That's a fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> I, I was like, the drill. And like, he's, like, you know, the guy driving is like, I'm going to drill you or whatever the fuck it is. Like, there was this weird sexual <laughs> violence in there as well. And obviously, they're like phallic. And then when he kills him, he says, screw you. Screw you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's the screw. And so it's like screwing him. But there's also the like double entendre of sexuality there. And obviously, the film is laced with all kinds of like sexual energy. You know, you've got good looking, sweaty, Arnie with his muscles pulsating while he's jackhammering um, or while he's in bed and Sharon Stone like how does she how does she satisfy him she's like is that better like I'm just gonna use my sexuality like come on man it's just like it's so heightened it's so it reminds me of like fucking silk stockings or like one of those like softcore porn uh, things that you would have seen on late night uh, like Showtime Skinamax you know Mm -hmm. it has that vibe to it too you know yeah, where everything feels like there's there's some scenes like scenes in that brothel on Mars that feel like weirdly overlit, and there is a weird energy. Like every time Arnold walks into in, into the room, it's not just Sharon Stone and the um I can't remember the actor's name that plays the the woman of his dreams, but um virtually every woman with whom he interacts is like putting the moves on him. Yeah, even like to the point where even the secretary, Thumbelina, the secretary it, at, at, yeah. at Recall, With, yeah, the one who's doing yeah. her nails. At the, yeah, but then Thumbelina, the little person that works in the brothel, I think literally her only line in the movie is like, "Hey, let me know if you need help fucking that guy." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Everybody in the, not just on Earth, not just on Mars, everyone in the galaxy wants to fuck this guy, yeah. and it is just it's one of those things that comes back to like the first 20 minutes aren't that different than the implanted memory. Like it is, it does beg the question of like, why does this guy need 
to go to recall. He seems to have a few things <laughs> going for him already. And it does kind of help sell the notion. And I know that, you know, it's all up in the air, but it does help to sell the notion to me that what happens after he goes to recall is actually happening is just because like, there's just, there's just already this weirdness to the world. And, and, and this kind of like, this sense that the only reason he would ever be drawn to that is because he had these weird repressed memories of his former life. Like it's, in in the world of the it's story, cool are we layers. meant to? Do you think that we're meant to 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 sense some ambiguity about the whether or not this whole thing is a dream? Or like, are we are we meant to feel that way, or do you think it's pretty much laid out that nah, this? This, this, after the first 20 minutes, this is real. Once he shoots the kind of fake doctor in the head, then you know, like, okay, no, this is the, quote, real timeline or whatever. That, that could be. I mean, Paul Verhoeven has said in interviews that the first 20 minutes is real. I don't, once again, though, he's a guy who likes to troll people. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, this entire movie may just be, because then... To engage with the the reading that the entire movie is an implanted memory, it makes absolutely no sense for there to be so many scenes that just take place between, like, Michael Ironside and Ronnie Cox talking to each other about, like, well, where did he go? Okay, we're going to go catch up to him now. Mm. Like, why would those be implanted in his brain? So... Even if you well, that's him the, justifying who the bad guys are in the story, just like a writer would when he's... You no, know, I know, yeah. but... But that that filmmaking convention, and it may just be a concession to filmmaking convention, yeah. but it completely puts a pin in the notion that this is all Arnold's implanted memory because why would he have a memory of a thing he wasn't present for? Yeah. Unless that, once again, is like, does it go another layer deep? And that's like a commentary on fucking solipsism, that this right. is a character who thinks the world just Truman ends Show. when he's not in the room. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, and then I think um, and then I think to get meta here, this is for, for Jared, uh, I think then what you get <laughs> at the end when he says, or when she says, like, uh, then you better kiss me before you wake up, then what happens? The end of the movie, right? Which means that for us, our dream is over as the audience. We were, yeah. our fantasy is now over because we got the kiss. So you better kiss me before you wake up. Well, we finally get that last kiss with the sexy woman that we've been fetishizing throughout this film. Of course, you've kissed her before, but still, this is like the real kiss. There's <laughs> no chaos. This is like where I can just finally be this with her. This is the victory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you, you imagine that they're going to consummate the they're gonna bang after this right so but you finally get that and then you wake up and now you have to walk out of the movie theater right so like and, well, the dream is and, over and and paul verhoeven makes a, a big deal about like i think he's patted himself on the back a few times for for like oh well the real stroke of genius in the film is that it fades to white instead of black <laughs> and fading 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 to white is coming out of a dream state it's opening your eyes and facing ah. the sun and blah 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 and it's one of those things where it's like you contrast that with every other filmmaker when they're asked in an interview, like, oh, was it a dream? Was it blah, 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 blah? And they just go, well, you have to make up your own mind. And Paul Verhoeven's like, I don't know. I'll just keep shoveling the shit as long as you clowns will eat it up. And another <laughs> layer to this, what happens to your eyes when you get out of the movie theater, right? Remember? Yeah, remember? I remember right. that. Like, that's like one of the things, because you, your eyes are so fucking like adjusted to the dark light, and then you get out when those doors open and you go outside. You're like, ah, 
back to the real world. I'm 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 waking from my dream. So there is something about yeah. kind of I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but no, no I like no, that. I that was good. I remember I remember that experience from what twenty years ago when we're movie theaters. I know. Oh yeah, um, R.I.P. It's uh, fucking brutal, man. I I'm tend, dying. I tend to say that it's not a delusion because man, it would be really irresponsible to plant memories of your wife and work <laughs> buddies trying to kill you. <laughs> trying to and, murder and, you. And, and and then you can no longer discern those from your real memories. That would be pretty rough. But uh, we're running out of time. We've got some great voicemails I want to go to. Are there any final thoughts you guys want to add before we go into our voicemails? I just wanted to ask you, Jared, now that we've done kind of the four big Hollywood – I mean, we didn't do Basic Instinct, which is probably actually his biggest. But, you know, kind of – well, maybe not. I don't know. It's debatable maybe. But um, of the four that we've done, like what – having revisited Verhoeven as an adult now, like what – Oh, yeah. What is your take? He's definitely – He's yes. definitely climbed up the ranks as a huge badass. Um, he's the, the best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, he's – it's a, a new favorite director that I didn't know that I had. Did you see L? I did see L. You did. And I didn't even know that was Verhoeven until like two days ago. Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah, but I did see it and I liked it a lot. And you know he has some new film coming out with like lesbian nuns, right? Oh, God. Can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, it takes. I think it takes place at a convent. Yeah, I feel like this um, guy is the kind of guy that once you once you spend some time with him, you kind of, it's kind of like you, you, I don't know. I I'm just, I don't get too excited about a filmmaker. I don't follow filmmakers so much anymore, um, for whatever reason. And uh, you know, I have my select few, but for some reason, this is one of those guys that it's like I feel like whatever he puts out is going to be some level of gold. Whether it's uh, alchemy, <laughs> uh, alchemy that is like turning it into gold or what, it's some some level of gold because he is. He always a, makes it his. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I, I get excited when I hear about any project that he's he's got in the works. So I don't know. Yeah, Raymond, well, you what can are your count me thoughts? among among those ranks as well as someone who's excited for anything new <laughs> that he does. Yeah, I've I've made my passion about Paul Verhoeven clear. I do just want to take just one one second, the, just the first and last installment of Raymond's remake corner. Just we've talked about the oh, remake yeah, a yeah. little bit, or I think maybe I've talked more about it. But I just want to bring one thing up about this movie as it compares to the remake, where the remake is all just like CGI nonsense. It's like a little bit of Minority Report, a little bit of the original movie, uh, a little bit of like J.J. Abrams lens flare everywhere. It's just <laughs> it and it just it's it's bland. It's not fun to look at. When you watch Total Recall, I just want to point out one thing. You know the Johnny Cab that yeah. pulls up yeah. and, and it, the animatronic that turns to him and he's talking to him? So that Johnny Cab is voiced by Robert Picardo, who's a, a great uh, character actor. And they knew so far in advance that Robert Picardo was going to be playing this role that they made the Johnny Cab look like him. Hmm. They designed this whole thing to match his body so it would match his voice. Hmm. And that's a really complex... Uh, animatronic that they did for this thing. I just think that, like that's the what I I just want to put a bow on this and say like I miss movies like this where they where they put that much care and attention to detail into like a gag that shows up in one scene whereas when you turn on the remake it's just like well, we've got Colin Farrell running around in front of a green screen for 80% of the thing and then we'll figure it out in the lab. And I just yeah, I'm sure that folks who uh, who listen to this show and who watch the live stream are probably cinephiles and they, they understand what we've lost with the whole digital revolution to some extent. But it is just one of those things. This, this movie is one of those hills to die on. Great fucking storytelling. 
incredible entertainment, great special effects at the height of, of physical practical effects. And I just, I can't celebrate it enough. I'm, I'm really grateful you guys had me on to talk about it. Yeah, well, we're grateful to have you on. Um, all right, so without further ado, we're going to move on to our voicemails. You can hit us up at 213-534-8807 or 21ElfHut07, where the elves party. Let's hear one from Damien. Hey, Wisecrack, this is Damien. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um, I just got finished listening to your Paul Verhoeven double feature, RoboCop and Showgirls. And while you were listing the movies, Starship Troopers, Basic Instinct, and so on, I noticed none of y'all mentioned Hollow Man. Um, I, uh, I've always liked Hollow Man ever since I was a kid. I remember very vividly my mother taking me when I was only five or six years old to go see the movie. Uh, I just wanted to know what y'all's opinion on Hollow Man was. Thanks again for uh, taking my call, and uh, keep on keeping on. Well, now I know what the next movie I'm going to watch is, is because Hollow Man is another movie that I saw when I was a kid. And I saw Hollow Man when I was in like fourth grade, I think, when it came out in theaters. And all I remember was that there was like too much nudity in it and it made me really uncomfortable. Wait, this as a is kid. Kevin Bacon and where he's like the Invisible Man. He's the like Invisible the Man, scientist. yeah. Yeah, and it has Elizabeth Shue in it who was like the love of my teenage life because of karate kid and <laughs> uh and adventures of babysitters club so i remember that and that's all i remember i just remember the bit where he like sneaks into the girl's room and like she's starting to get undressed or or like he's like yeah that's all i remember that's... too or there's like a girl that's sleeping and yeah that's just, what it like, is and he, like molests her, or her. Something. yeah 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 all i remember it, about the movie is that kevin bacon science science experiment goes wrong he becomes invisible and becomes a creep that's all i remember that's all I remember too. <laughs> I remember a lot more than that, but I'm I'm sure we don't have a whole lot of time. All I'll all I'll say about Hollow Man because I I probably have the most vivid memories of this movie because I think I watched it again like last year. Um, it much like everything Verhoeven does, it's knowingly transgressive. There was this weird kind of like series of of Universal monster movies that happened in the '90s where like Jack Nicholson and Wolf was like a take on the Wolf Man. And this was kind of a take on Invisible Man. And there was like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula. So there was this weird, loose, kind of like lightly eroticized universal monster resurgence uh, in that kind of sort of decade there. And he takes this Invisible Man, which uh, the original Invisible Man is one of my favorite movies. And I love it so much because... It, it, it it's the one uh, universal monster movie that explicitly says the monster is man. And he takes that to the nth degree with Hollow Man. It's, it's really, really, like, really ugly at parts. There's some really, like, troubling scenes, like sexual assaults and stuff like that. But it, it is this, this guy who is so hubristic, who pushes himself to his physical and mental limits... And then when he disappears and becomes nothing, he realizes like that that is an absolute power and it, it corrupts him absolutely. It's in, on top of that incredible special effects showcase. Like they make a point out of like, they had to have sat down in a room at some point and made a list of how many things a, an invisible person can walk through that will give the suggestion of them as they pass. Like, he goes through fog, he goes through smoke, he goes through a, a swimming pool, and you see the water rippling around nothing. It's a really good movie. I think it was unfairly maligned. It pretty much sent him packing back to the Netherlands. He hasn't made another movie in the States since. And I, I think it deserves another look. If you have, or if you haven't seen it, give it another shot. Or uh, give it a shot. 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad we had you on to uh, give Damien some love for uh, Hollow Man. Uh, let's hear one from Delaney. Hey, Wisecrack. Delaney here. Um, longtime listener, but first-time caller. Uh, I wanted to comment on the Show Me the Meeting episode of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, one thing that I don't think was mentioned explicitly was the theme of birth and death. Uh, the spaceship in the film has kind of the shape of a sperm, and after it reaches Jupiter, which looks like an egg, we see the star baby appear. There is also the birth and death of technology, from the use of the bone, kind of the birth of technology, to the destruction of HAL 9000. Um, and in addition, we also see two discussions of birthdays, which is significant considering how little dialogue there is during the film. Uh, I would love to know what you guys think about the themes of birth and death in 2001 Space Odyssey. Thanks, guys. So I wanted to respond to this with another email that we got from our our fan uh, that I've probably pronounced his name wrong incorrectly before. I think it's Jao, J-O-A-O. Anyway, he linked us to this thread on 4chan that talks about uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and how it changed the way that that Jao viewed the movie forever. So it's the discovery represents a penis. The scientist represents sperm. The escape pod represents semen. Uh, many scientists sperm die on the journey. Only one survives. The monolith represents a vagina. The Stargate sequence represents the fertilization progress. Uh, the Renaissance room represents the womb. The sperm develops into a child. The child exits the same way it entered through the vagina monolith. Also, the reason the room is decorated with Renaissance art is because the word Renaissance means rebirth in Italian. And so, I just I just imagine Stanley Kubrick with like a whiteboard and a bunch of yarn <laughs> explaining, <laughs> explain, explaining this to cure Delea. Like, uh, no, don't you understand? It's, You're a sperm. It's That's the meme. It's the Charlie meme from It's Always Sunny, where he's all crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. and he's like all crazy eyed, and he's like, you see. <laughs> I just yeah, just imagine Cure Delea and the crew just sitting there like Pepe Whatever, Sylvia, man, Pepe Sylvia, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> great movie though. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I had a really long discussion with a good friend of mine um, who's an expert in like Renaissance art and uh, history of ideas after this, and he's also a kind of a, a cinephile. And we were talking about the the distinction between someone like Tarkovsky who makes Solaris as a direct response, right, and somebody like Kubrick and how Kubrick is oftentimes viewed as being this cold filmmaker. And we were kind of trying to, to work through kind of how that's a, an oversimplified uh, critique, but that there is something about technology, there is something about um, the human, about a sort of like materialism that you get in Tarkovsky, I'm sorry, that you get in Kubrick, whereas in Tarkovsky there's more of an explicit mysticism. So I was trying to think through this in relation to like that star baby moment, like what's up with that star baby moment? And actually, I think that that's where you kind of, you don't get the coldness of Kubrick, but you actually get this warmth. And maybe it's through, and I can't remember, what was what was her name that, that gave the voicemail that asked about this? Delaney. Delaney. The point about, like, birth has to do with something about natality, right? With, like, fecundity, with vibrancy. And I think it has something to do with the way that Kubrick views the human spirit. And I think for him as opposed to Tarkovsky, where Tarkovsky kind of allows for some sort of mysterious or ethereal or esoteric thing to exist. Whereas for Kubrick, it's all about like the human itself. The human itself is this thing that can create itself, that can overcome, that can transform, that can lead to new births. And that's why I think the star baby at the end is ultimately like the almost transcending of the human, even over its reliance on technology, as it becomes like 
uh, outside of the earth, outside of the bounds of space and time, outside of the, the things that hold it down, right? And so there's something about maybe even like beyond what we think of in terms of just physical birth, even to this idea of like uh, evolutionary stages. And that obviously fits with the idea of natality, but it's like a natality that kind of uh, is paradigmatic, that, that spurts and that jumps and that leaps to like entirely new qualitatively different forms altogether. That's a little bit like abstract and kind of wanky, but that's kind of no, where my I've, mind goes. I've, when, I've always yeah. seen it as like the monolith shows up right before a big evolutionary jump. And when he's in bed at the end of that and you see his his life pass before his eyes and everything and then he's confronted with the monolith and then transcends the 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 earthly realm or at that point the uh the the saturnly realm <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> whatever planet he's on or jupiterly realm um you know by the end of it, it there there is like a transcendence of, of of the human form we've cast off this vessel and stepped into the next stage of evolution i i think he's even made that explicit like in the script it it i think it even says that explicitly that oh, does it? Uh, it it kind of lay it, it kind of lays it out um but it's it's one of those things where if you there's also a lot of stuff that's in the movie that's not in the script and vice versa so it's it, it's one of those things where it's like well by the time it comes to you what matters, I think, is your interpretation and how and what you take away from it is far more interesting than anything that was in a script 50 years ago, you know? Yeah. That's kind of the conclusion that we came to in the last episode. Um, all right. We're running a little long, so we're going to close it out with our last voicemail from Anonymous. Hey, fellas. Uh, it's Colin about your 2001 episode. Um, you, you guys, uh, I think it was Austin brought up um, Gravity and and Tree of Life as kind of Kubrick's, uh, their, their, their kind of version of, uh, 2001. Um, I don't know if you guys have all seen it, but, um, I, that's kind of how I see Twin Peaks The Return. Um, I know David Lynch has, has said that he, you know, as far as filmmakers go, he was very influenced by Santa Kubrick. I mean, I think he's one of the rare filmmakers that isn't necessarily a cinephile, although he is big fan fans of other filmmakers, but he's just generally like being a painter, influenced by other things. But um, I mean, you know, the famous episode eight where you know he goes inside of an atomic bomb. I mean, that is straight up the Stargate. Um, and I think that there are, are elements of that that you know, granted in a very Lynchian way, that really are kind of playing with technology like magic um the way that mr c uh kind of has this bizarre ability to kind of tinker with with uh technology and make it do bizarre things um and i i don't know i i think that that is lynch's magnum opus i think it's the most brilliant thing ever and uh it, i i imagine it would be almost impossible to talk about um in a in an hour long podcast, but I would love to hear you guys take on that. It's just the most unique piece of filmmaking ever, and I definitely see it as as an eighteen part film, not as a, a TV show. But would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Anyways, great work. Wow, thank you for that, anonymous. I mean, as so people who know me well in my life know that I'm obsessed with Twin Peaks: The Return. Um, it, I've seen it three times. 
Uh, every single time has been great. I'm considering watching it a fourth time. I've got, you know, Twin Peaks blanket on my wall. Um, and uh, I episode eight, I always hype up to people. I think I likewise think it's the most brilliant thing. I honestly hadn't made the Kubrick connection. I mean, I had the Stargate connection with episode eight but I hadn't really made the greater Kubrick connection between Lynch and um, yeah, I definitely will be noodling on that in the future, but uh, I can't say enough positive things about Twin Peaks, the return. It's just, it's the best thing David Lynch has done. And that's saying a lot in my book. All right, guys. Well, normally we would go into some emails as well. Uh, We don't have time today, but you can continue to hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another film. I want to thank Raymond for joining us. Raymond, it was really great having you, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was, uh, it, it was quite a pleasure. Is there anything that you want to plug? Um, oh, no, I don't know. I mean, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Crematoria, uh, C-R-E-A-M-A-T-O-R-I-A. Uh, I think I've, I've got the same handle on Letterboxd if you want to keep up with what I'm watching. But other than that, not really. I'm uh, just uh, grateful for the opportunity, guys. This was a lot of fun. Awesome, we had a lot of fun too. And Austin, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yep, hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, on Insta, A-U-S underscore H-A-Y. I've got a YouTube channel where I muse about politics, philosophy, and reading through the Bible and other random shit, whatever strikes my fancy. And uh, yeah, hit me up, yell at me, comment, contribute, all of that good shit. Cool. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Peace. Goodbye from Sydney, Australia.